Have you ever noticed, that was really weird. Have any of y'all ever noticed that uh, we live in a world that wants to fit in, right? Even the people that act like they want to stand out, they all want to stand out in the same way, right? They're going to get a mohawk that's blue, and they all want the exact same mohawk, or they're all going to have a nose ring, or even the people that, that act like they want to stand out really do it in the same way. And as a church, though, I think that we would all agree that we aren't comparing ourselves or looking to be like other churches, right? We're not looking at the church down the street or a church across the country and say, we need to be just like them. We're not looking to uh, recreate the church of the past 50 years either. Uh, the church has done great things in the past 50 years, but it, what worked 50 years ago might not work today. And uh, so if we want to look at a church that we want to emulate, where we're going to go is we're going to go back 2,000 years, all the way back to the church of the New Testament. Uh, we recently looked at the church of Ephesus, and we went all the way through that, looking at where they had uh, some success and where they had some failures. And we uh, took away some things that we want to do as a church. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at the church of Philippi. And we're going to see what we can learn from that church there. And many of the ideas and, and things we're going to talk about are going to be taken from a Matt Chandler book on this subject, on the book of Philippians. So the letter of Philippians was written by who? Does anybody know? The Apostle Paul. If anybody ever asked you who wrote a book of the Bible and it's in the New Testament, the best thing to do is just answer Paul because he wrote a lot of them, okay? Uh, but he wrote this letter to this church in uh, Philippi. Now, church, uh, Paul was a missionary, but he also was a church planner. So he would go into these major uh, metropolitan areas, so think like New York and Los Angeles, maybe Pittsburgh, and he would plant a church in one of those big areas, and that's what he did in this place called Philippi. And Philippians is a letter to that church. And unlike many of the other Pauline letters, in Philippians, Paul is not focused so much on changing the behavior or correcting problems. Rather, we get a glimpse of what it means to be a mature Christian man or woman for Christ. And you're going to, if you've uh, read it before, and even if you haven't read it before, what you're going to notice is there are going to be a lot of verses that are very familiar. And some of the reason is these are the type of the verses that we like to put on coffee cups, right? Or we like to put them on a bumper sticker. These verses are so profound that you might even see it on a t-shirt. And, and that's uh, what the book of Philippians gives us. In chapter 1, we see this phrase, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In chapter 2 of Philippians, we see it says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he exhorts us to think like Christ. Chapter 3 tells us that all things are rubbish, all things are trash compared to the greatness of knowing Christ. And chapter 4 tells us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So this series is going to call us to a closer walk with Christ. So listen to this tone. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3. You go ahead and take a chance. You can uh, open that up. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. And this is what he says. Listen to this tone as he's talking to this church in Philippi. Here we go. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy 
You can just see how happy he is to have fellowship with the church and how proud he is of this church and the joy that he has about it. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from my first day until now. Look at this next phrase. It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart. Everybody say, aw, aw, right? I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment when I was in prison and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so you could be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The glory and praise of God. When you read this passage of Scripture, you can hear Paul's overwhelming love for this church. He is just gushing about this church. Well, Paul planted this church, and he knows these people. He's ate with them. He's walked with them. He's lived life with them. And he reminds them in verse 6 that God started this work, and God is going to finish this work. The God that brought this work uh, to fruition is going to follow through all the way to the end. So where we're going to be the rest of this sermon is we're going to be in the book of Acts. Why? Because that is where we see the church of Philippi begin. And we, the, we see these charter members in Acts chapter 16. So flip over to Acts chapter 16. We'll be there the rest of the time. And what we're going to see here is who this church was. How did this church start? God told them... From the beginning, that he that started that work was going to finish that work. So let's look back and see how that work was started. And you see this uh, travel log from Paul right here. He says this. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Nepopolis. And I don't think I said that right. And from there to Philippi. All right, so this is where it gets good, right? We see this church has started. They were in Philippi, and they remained in this city some day. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And look at this. This is awesome. It says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she got it. It says, after that, she was baptized. She believed and her household as well. And she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So here we see Lydia. Lydia is the first person in Philippi that was converted. This is the very first member of this church of Philippi. She's from the city, though, of Thyatira, which is in modern-day Turkey. But she most likely had a house in Philippi as well because they were hundreds of miles apart. She's a very wealthy woman who sells either purple uh, dye or purple cloth, which was the height of fashion. That was the color for the year, right? The fall color that was at Fashion Week. It was purple that year, and they were so excited about purple, and she was a wealthy woman because of it. 
So imagine this woman, right? She's this wealthy woman in the fashion industry, the CEO of this fashion empire, a fashionista, if you will. And she has a house in Paris and a house in New York. This is what we see here, right? She's a woman that's done very well for herself. And we see in this passage, though, that she's a God-fearer. She's a worshiper of God. And that's a big deal. Because although she was from Turkey, she had rejected paganism before she had ever met Paul. This pagan idea was that there was a God of the sun, and there was a God of the trees, and a God of the fashion world. Well, she rejected all of that. And she believes in the one true God. So she's going to the synagogue and learning from the Jews, learning about the law, learning about the Ten Commandments, trying to be a good person. She had an open heart towards the Lord, but she didn't have all the pieces yet. She didn't have it all put together yet. She rejected her culture's religion. She was seeking God, but she didn't have all the pieces yet. So Paul shows up on this Sabbath day women's small group, right, over down by the river, this prayer meeting that they were having, which is an awesome example as to why you should be involved in a women's small group, women, right? And Paul begins to teach these women about Christ, And he starts putting all these pieces together for this wealthy uh, Turkish fashion designer uh, that's living in Greece. And Paul told them about how Christ came to fulfill all those prophecies that the Old Testament prophets wrote. And Paul told her about how the law was given to show us a need for a Savior. And how none of us could ever keep the law. And that's proof that we need someone else outside of us. And how that Jesus was that Savior. And how uh, that we simply need to believe on him and ask forgiveness. And she gets it. She's excited about it. And her and her whole house gets miraculously saved. And they immediately get baptized to show their allegiance to Christ. So here we see this first charter member of the church of Philippi. Lydia, this wealthy Turkish fashion mogul that was seeking to know God. But she didn't have all the pieces quite yet. But then came the gospel. And look who comes next in the, uh, the scene in Philippi, chapter uh, 16, verse 16. You're going to see here how amazing the diversity of this church is. Here we go. It says, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by Fortune telling. This is scary, right? This is like Halloween stuff right here. This is some creepy stuff going on. So she followed Paul and, uh, and us crying out, and this is what she was saying. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days, over and over and over again, over and over and over again. I love this part because I feel like Paul sometimes. Paul, having become greatly annoyed... That's pretty good, right? I like that. That's Bible right there. Turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that there was hope of gain that was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the ruler. So think about how different this person is, right? This is a little girl. This is a really sad story. She's a little girl that's caught up in slavery. Lydia's tur- uh, Turkish and this little girl is Greek. This is how different they are. Lydia is wealthy. She has it all together. She knows a little bit about the Bible and is seeking God. But this little girl is impoverished. She's enslaved. She's being exploited and being used to give fortunes. And she's not in control at all. 
And this demon-possessed girl is what we would call crazy. She's a head case, right? She's a lost cause. That's what we would say if we saw this little girl. But she's following Paul and Silas around and Luke around and screaming that, that these men are servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. Now, understand this. You might say, well, that's the truth. Yeah, that's true. It's the truth. But this little girl was saying it over and over and over again. She's not cheering on the preachers. She's being either sarcastic or angry or fearful, and she's screaming it out. She is not in control. And finally, Paul has to say something to this young girl because she's being disruptive and she can't be quiet. She's the one in the service that we would say, hey, let's, why don't we just kick her out, right? She's being too disruptive. Let's let her not come back to church, right? But Paul doesn't approach this little girl the same way that he approached Lydia. He doesn't invite her to a Bible study. He doesn't teach her all about the feeding of the 5,000 with like hand puppets. No, Paul turns to her in an act of Holy Spirit power. He commands that thing that controlled and ruled on the inside of her to come out. This thing that ruled her on the inside had caused her to be enslaved physically, enslaved spiritually, and enslaved mentally. And all at once, through the power of Jesus, she was set free of both her inside issues and her outside issues. This thing that controlled her, what had been, uh, uh, she had put all of her hope in to provide for her, what she worshiped, this thing that was inside her, what she served, in an instant, she sees that that thing was not all powerful, that thing was not worthy to be praised, that thing was not worthy to be served, and in an instant, she is changed. In an instant, she realizes that Jesus is Lord. So, so far we have this ex-slave girl, right? This demon-possessed girl. And, and we have Lydia. These are the two women that we start off this church of Philippi with. Let's see who's next in verse 20. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, the rulers of the time, these Paul and Silas to come because they're upset that they lost gain, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. I'd love to say, uh, uh, someone say that about Clarksburg Baptist Church. We're disturbing the city with the gospel, right? We're just shaking things up. They, uh, it's not okay. I'd love to go stand before the city council because uh, we're having revival and they don't like it, right? Praise the Lord for that. But they advocate the customs. They said, these people are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in and attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them. Man, that's awesome. And, and they gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner city, I mean, inner pr prison, excuse me. He put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet to the stocks. So the, the magistrates say, hey, don't let these guys get out. So they put them all the way in the middle and they fastened them with stocks. So these influential, uh, in, influential people in the city realize that they can't make money or taxes off this little girl's slave, uh, this little slave girl's fortune telling anymore, right? And they, they take Paul and Silas to this town square and they throw them to the ground and they do this. They say, these men are Jews and they're trying to teach us to be Jews. 
And we don't have to do that because we're Romans. They play the race card on these guys, right? They're trying to incite violence, this inflammatory language, and it works. And Paul and Silas and, and Luke, they begin to get beaten. They rip off their garments, and they, they just, uh, just absolutely persecute them. Let's have a quick time out here, right? This is crazy. Lydia and this slave girl just had gotten saved. There was miraculous things happen. Paul and Silas that just obeyed God, right? They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. Why is God allowing this to happen to them right here? They were missionaries. They were just trying to live. They were trying to follow God. Why is this terrible thing happening to them? Well, that's because God doesn't promise that when we follow him, that all the things will be good or all the things will be easy. But he does promise that if we'll follow him, that he will work things out for the good. And you're going to see this promise fulfilled in just a few minutes. So Paul and Silas are beat. They're thrown into a prison cell, which is not like our prison system today. There's no three square meals, thick mattresses, TVs, rec time, none of that. This is a dark, wet, sewage and rat infested cave. And the jailers threw them in this inner prison. And then they put them on stocks, uh, in stocks, which isn't those uh, stocks that we see at Williamsburg with like the wooden thing and you put your head in it. These are stocks that absolutely, uh, they put you in the most uncomfortable position that you could ever think of. And your body begins to seize up. Your body begins to go numb. There's pain. They were uncomfortable and they were left there for days. So let's see what they do next. Obviously, what they do is they complain and they get mad and they get upset, right? And they start talking about how they don't deserve this and how I don't know what God is doing to me. It doesn't make any sense. That's what we're going to see here in verse 25, all right? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. What? Praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. This is what they decided to do. These guys are having a worship service here in this sewage and rat-infested prison. We struggle today to have a service without power, right? We were going to still do it. Me and Andy had a plan. We were going to do it today. We're going to do it in the dark. We don't care. But we struggle. If we don't have air conditioning, we're like, I'm not coming to church today. These guys are praising in a rat-infested prison. And they're shouting so loud. This isn't like a little quiet time. They're shouting so loud that all of the prison can hear them. They don't worship with just whispers. They live Christ out loud. And notice it doesn't tell us that they were talented singers and that they, this one was a tenor and this one was a bass. No, they were just singing loud. That's all we hear. Imagine how that jailer felt though, right? This jailer was told to keep them in the middle of the prison. Don't let anybody get to them. Don't let them escape. I'm sure this blue collar guy, this jailer is like, man, these guys are going to get me fired. Shut up in there. Keep it down. My boss is going to kill me. Let's, let's just pause for a second and think about how frustrating Paul the Apostle was to these people that hated the gospel, right? How frustrating would this be? They couldn't shut him up no matter how much they beat him. They threatened to kill him, and he says to die is gain. They torture him, and he says this present suffering cannot compare to the glory that is to come. Well, they say, fine, all right, you, you, you would be happy if we let you die, that we, you'd be happy if we torture you. Well, then they say, fine, you can live. He says, to live is Christ. 
And then they say, well, fine, we'll put you in prison. And he sings, and he has a worship service there in the middle. How frustrating would this be? How much can you not defeat this man that's walking so closely to God? And suddenly, let's see what happens next. Acts 16, 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, right? Whoa, crazy. A great earthquake. So that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. And immediately the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prisoners' doors were open, he gets upset and he's scared. He drew his sword and he was about to kill himself. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So miraculous, this is a a miracle here. The prison doors swing wide open as the earthquake. The jailer is scared to death. Imagine this is normally an army vet type guy. This isn't a wimpy guy like Pastor Phil. This is a big, strong jailer guy that's going to beat people, and he's going to be scary looking. So he just wants to do his job, though, and he just wants to go home, right? He wants Paul and Silas to be quiet, to shut up, so that he can get through his shift. And then the doors open, And the jailer only sees one option. He says, I I know I'm going to get killed if these guys escape. I I know that I'm going to just get absolutely tortured. So he decides, I'm going to just do my duty and do it for them. I'm going to kill myself. Verse 28 says, Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Paul stops him. The jailer realizes the prisoners are still there. The jailer is so confused, though. He doesn't understand. He's like, why? I don't understand why you guys are still in prison. The doors are open. Your bonds have fallen off. And he's overtaken by this example of these young men. And he thinks to himself, right? He thinks to himself, they sang praises in the face of death, and I became suicidal. They've got something I don't have. There's something different. Uh, they, They stayed when they could have escaped, and if it was me, I would have ran out and killed the jailer myself and escaped from behind bars. So he realizes there's something different about these men. So he fell before Paul and Silas and Luke in verse 30. says, then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible tells us the jailer and his whole house are gloriously saved after seeing this great example of the love of Christ in these men. Remember, Paul and Silas were just being beat. It didn't make any sense a little while ago as to why, you know, they've seen Lydia get saved, they've seen this uh, uh, ex-slave girl get saved, and then they got beat, and they didn't understand it. But now it begins to make sense how this was happening. See, sometimes what we need to remember is that we need to go through trials so that we can reach a jailer and his whole family. So we have these, these... Charter members of the church in Philippi. We've got Lydia, this wealthy fashion mogul. You've got this poor ex-slave girl. And now you have this blue-collar ex-military Roman jailer. Three very different people reached in three very different ways. Lydia was reached through her intellect, through a Bible study. This slave girl was reached with an act of Holy Spirit power. And the jailer was reached by an extreme example of Christ's love. Isn't that amazing? See, the gospel in Philippi broke down racial walls. It broke down economic walls. It broke down social walls. 
This is the church of Philippi, and I believe that every church should look like this because I believe that this is what heaven is going to look like. And this is what our personal ministry in our life should look like as well, reaching different types of people in different types of ways. Everybody that you talk to shouldn't look exactly like you with all of your hobbies and all of your interests. We need to break down those walls and find a Lydia, find a jailer, find a slave girl that needs the gospel. See, if your friends don't want Christ, go tell someone that you wouldn't normally uh, be your friend. Go find someone that you uh, wouldn't normally hang out with. If your neighbors are already Christian, go find somebody else. Everybody at your work, you've already invited to church, go find someone else. That's not when it ends. Like, oh, great, I got the 10 people that I know. Now I don't have to invite anybody else. I don't have to tell anybody else about Jesus or give anybody else the gospel. That's not how it works. It's our responsibility to go and find people that need Christ, to go and find Lydia, a seeker of God that doesn't have all the pieces yet. Give her the gospel. Go and find a slave girl. The world is going to say they're crazy. The world's going to say they're a head case, they're a lost uh, cause, but really what they are, they're in bondage. Give her the gospel. Go find a, a jailer, a good old boy that just wants to see your walk match your talk. He wants to see you live for Christ. This is the way the gospel should be working. And it's how it worked in Philippi, and it was how it will work in Clarksburg. This is the book of Philippi. And they were, these are who they're written to, these three men, or these three people, excuse me, and their families. And this is the church that Paul said, I love to think about your church. I long to be at your church and with you, uh, like Christ longs to be with us. And Paul reminds us that this church in Philippi, how this church started because of a series of miracles in people's lives, and just like it started, God was going to bring it to a finish. God was going to finish it. See, the only explanation for this church is the gospel. Lydia wouldn't have hung out with that slave girl. The jailer would have probably resented Lydia, this wealthy woman. But this is the gospel. And see, when you add the gospel to these people, they have something amazing in common. And they begin to work together, and it works out. And if each of us would live out the gospel in our lives as a church, we would also have supernatural unity. People coming together with little in common, but the love we have for each other. And we would show it and we would act it out. Not just shaking hands with people at church and saying, hi, how you're doing, but actually living life together more than once a week. For an hour where you just sit in rows and look at uh, someone up on the stage. It's more than that. It's eating together, living life together with each other, praying with each other, providing support and accountability. Do you know hospitality is a spiritual gift? Well, some of you have it and you need to start using it. Hey, your gift might be inviting someone over to your house and, and drinking coffee with them and talking to them about the Bible, talking to them about what Christ has done for you. Hey, we need as a church to have that aspect. When was the last time you went out with someone at church or someone in the community uh, with a purpose for the gospel that wasn't like you, that maybe you didn't have anything in common with, that you wouldn't have normally put yourself in front of? Hey, that's what the gospel will provoke us to do. 
Imagine what we could do if everyone in the room took the initiative to find out where they fit into this body, into the overall body, and then they determined to fight for unity. Hey, it is possible to have this supernatural type of church that would walk with Jesus and, and, and that would work the gospel into every part of, his li- of our lives. I believe that God started this church. I don't think you last as a church for 165 years without something going right. But just existing is not our point and it's not our goal. Just the fact that we're going to make it another year is not why we're here. We want to see this happen. When was the last time we could point at something like this happening? When's the last time that you can point at something like this happening in your life? Where you were able to get in front of somebody and say, hey, I think that was God moving in my life, that they set up this appointment with somebody, or I met somebody at McDonald's, or I saw somebody at the gas station, and we just started talking. Hey, look, and and this is not coming from, you might say, well, Pastor Phil, that's easy for you to say. You're really outgoing. No, I am not. If I'm at at the gas station, I don't want to talk to anybody. If I'm driving through McDonald's, I'll say, thank you very much. Uh, You did a great job, but I don't want to invite them to church or talk to them about Jesus. None of us want to do that. So don't use that excuse that this, that's just not my personality. It doesn't matter. The Bible tells us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if we'll walk closely, we're going to have these supernatural appointments where God sets up things and, and we're going to see God move in people's lives that we don't expect and it doesn't make sense. We're going to see a, a wealthy person come to Christ. We're going to see a person that we would say, that person's nuts. We're going to see a person that just uh, normally would rather on a Sunday morning sit in a boat and drink a beer as they're fishing. And we're going to see those type of people that we don't have anything in common with come to Christ. And how it's going to happen is if we listen to the Holy Spirit, we wake up every day and we are not apathetic enough to just say, I'm okay without God today. And we're not, we realize that we cannot do any of this without him. And we begin to look for those people. Paul went and looked at the river. Paul stopped. He got so annoyed with this person that he finally gave him the gospel. That's pretty cool, right? Some of you have some people like that in your life. They're not people you like. They're not people you want to talk to about Jesus. But maybe God is allowing them to get on your nerves so that you'll talk to them about Jesus. Maybe there's going to be a problem in your life like we saw that last one, that jailer. Maybe you're going to go through a struggle and you're going to go through a trial and you're going to not want to. And it's not going to be fun. But in that trial, you're going to find someone that needs to hear about the love of Jesus. And that's what will happen if we begin to determine to live for Christ. In our everyday. Let's stand on our feet and bow our heads. This type of church is possible, but it's only possible once we take personal responsibility for the church. See, the church is not this building, the church is not Clarksburg Baptist Church, the church is the body of Christ, fellow believers with a purpose to be the hands and feet of Christ in this community. Every head bowed and eyes closed. When was the last time you felt like you should share Jesus with somebody? You might say, well, I, don't have all, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't have all the vernacular. You don't need all that. All you need to do is tell people what happened to you. Tell people what Jesus did in your life. 
When was the last time you were prompted to do it? And you felt that Holy Spirit nudge you and say, hey, talk to that person. If you're anything like me, there's been times where you felt that and you didn't do it. Let's this week look for those opportunities. Let's look for a Lydia. Let's look for a little slave girl that's bound by her sin. Let's look for a jailer. As the music plays this morning, the altar's open. God's prompting in your heart right now that you need to come down and, and deal with something. Whether it's this message or maybe something's going on in your life, you come now as they play. You can use your pew as an altar as well. But you deal with God. Don't let this moment pass without making a decision for Christ right now.